Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. And even better than that, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So today I have with us Chrissy Biasello from Rotund Chef from South Philly, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Chrissy? I'm doing great. New year. Let's get this this moving. <laughs> you can tell I'm like 30 in, in a row, like 30 days in a row, because I'm like starting to not mess up the intros anymore. If anyone knows, there's like... I I really try hard to get everyone's names right, but like going day in day out, I mix them all up and my my words get twisted. So I was really happy that we got on the first take today. Excuse me. So, Chrissy, <laughs> I'm gonna give a little commentary and then um, I and then I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and tell your story. But one of the things I love about like sort of the world of Instagram is how we all can connect and. And mm-hmm. how sort of there's just this world in food that, um, and you, I think you live this world just based on your experience, but there's so much care and kindness and there's so much positivity also. And there's so many connections you can make uh, with the right mm-hmm. people. And it's just such a beautiful thing. So it's something I want to talk about on today's podcast. But before we get into it, let's get into your story. Like, why, how'd you become a chef, entrepreneur? Uh, get on a TV show, and then you know we can talk about the f- the struggles of your life because I think they're all so important because they define who you are now. And I can tell that just from meeting you and your Instagram and and going back and and looking at the shows you were on. So let's start with your story. Okay. So um, my name is Chrissy Biasello. Um I was born and raised in the Philadelphia area. Uh, Born in, you know, born in South Philly, eventually migrated up to Northeast Philly and ended up in good old Delco, a.k.a. the armpit of southeastern Pennsylvania. (laughs) Um, You know, I come from a blue collar family. My dad was a teamster and operating engineer. Um, You know, my grandfather uh, ran the laundry at Pennsylvania Hospital for like 30 some years. Um, You know, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, my stepmom worked down at the stock exchange down in Philly. Um, you know, a big family, big family. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two, so I have two large families on both sides. Um, my mom's side of the family, um, you know, my grandfather was raised on a farm uh, down in Virginia, and my grandmother is a coal cracker from Scranton. And um, so very... Um, you know, traditional, uh, waspy kind of values on that side. And then, um, on my, on my father's side, very traditional Italian American family, deep rooted in food and gathering and family. And, you know, I, I grew up with, you know, hard work and family was like the number one priority. And, and that's pretty much what I base everything I do on. I, I want to talk about this. I'm going to ask some detailed questions with, within this. But one of the things that I, that I relate to you weirdly so exactly, like it's almost like our script was written the same. The divorced parents, I'm the product of the second marriage though. But the 
the thing about it in the big family for sure, multiple families and Italian on one side, my father's all Italian. So I really identify with that, the hard work, the American dream, the fighting to get here. But then I do have the waspy side, like the mutt side. Like I don't know how else to describe it because there's like Native American in there and and Northern African and African American and it's just all mixed in there somehow. Like I don't fully understand it over like hundreds of years in the United States. But there are these core values, these Protestant core values, like like very much so that are instilled in there. And then you have the Catholic Italian core values work ethic that also gets mixed in there. And so I'm a product of that also. And it's very interesting because it's a very mashing and having it happen in Pennsylvania, which is the blue collar world. Like, I don't know how else to describe Pennsylvania to anyone. It was called, it's basically Colorado before marijuana boomed. I don't know how else other way to describe (laughs) it. I love that. Because it's spread out. There's like mountains, there's wilderness, there's hiking. It's very outdoorsy. Ducks Unlimited, like people care about it. But like, you know, like marijuana boom, Colorado, and now you have a lot of raising of real estate property and stuff like that. Otherwise, Colorado is like a lot of mining and farming and stuff like that. Previously, maybe the tech boom there because of the hurricane in New Orleans and all of the technology moved from New Orleans to Denver, which is why the tech centers, Denver tech center. So, but let's get back to Pennsylvania. I think one of the things that that we're talking about is it's always Pennsylvania is a blue collar state that doesn't have any lot of blue collar work left in it. So as that transition happened, there was a lot of like mentality, particularly around our age group. That's like, Oh my gosh, our parents are dependent on other people. Our parents are working for other people. Like I don't want to be dependent on someone else. Like what happens if this steel disappears like Bethlehem steel, like Bethlehem steel and Bethlehem Pennsylvania no longer exists. And so examples like that. So I think it's one of the things that when this happens, there's this push and this inspiration to to do more or our parents especially to want us to do better than they did. So I just want to leave that as a footnote and we'll talk about it a little bit in a second. But let's go back to where did you start wanting to be a chef? Like where did that come from? Did you always know? Is it something you developed? Um, so, I mean, both sides of my family are very, very talented in the kitchen. And, you know, I got this, um, Southern, you know, Northeast Pennsylvania kind of cuisine, um, from, you know, mom's side and then, and then, you know, the full, full Monty of the Italian on, you know, dad's side. And I mean, ever since I can remember, you know, if I could reach the stove on a stool, you know, I would be up there stirring a pot of zombie gravy with my grandmother. My mother was help, you know, letting me make cookies. And, you know, I remember being like eight, nine years old. And, you know, uh, my mom and stepdad were sleeping. And, like, I would go downstairs and make breakfast all on my own. And it wasn't always great. One time, uh, one time, for instance, I, I grated potatoes. I tried to make, like, a, a big hash brown in the cast iron skillet. And I was like eight years old. I didn't know to wash the potatoes. So like I, I served this gray mash, like grated potato thing to my mom in bed. And she's like, mmm, delicious. <laughs> and obviously it was terrible. But like it was, you know, that's that's the kind of encouragement it's that I grew start. up with. And, it's the start. Yeah. Though. And 
you know, she could have been like, oh, my God, what did you do? You didn't wash the potatoes, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she didn't. She was like, hmm, this is delicious, and then politely scraped it in the trash. You know, I, I, I was obsessed with my mom's dad, my grandfather, lovingly known as Dampy. And, I mean, he was a phenomenal cook. And I just, you know, growing up on the farm and, and seeing all these little tricks he had, you know, like, uh, sugaring the, the, the cabbage for the coleslaw to let all the sourness dra- drain out. You know, all the little tips and tricks. I watched him so intently. And him and I were so extremely close. And he passed away um, of uh, lung cancer in 2000. Just when I had just become a new mom and, you know, was starting this, this like, life outside of him, so to speak, um, and I always loved to cook and I always loved to be in the kitchen with my family and everything. But when he passed away, I felt like this connection was gone. And the only way that I knew how to bring him back into my home and allow my newborn to grow up with my grandfather, even though he wasn't physically here, was to try to replicate his recipes and his techniques and that and 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 fortunately, I, I I was just really good at it. No, no, no I love this. Hold on, just <laughs> I want to pause just for the audience, and I do this a lot. I interrupt people, and I apologize. No problem. But it's um, I want to go back to a second because I think it's so important what you just said, and I think like so one of the things that happens is there was a legacy passed down to you. Okay. There was Mm -hmm. the time invested in you to pass down something other than money, okay? I think Mm -hmm. that that's so important because people hear legacy and they always think it's money or financial. It's not. Most of the time, it shouldn't be, okay? Because, like, if you pass down the money without these type of resources as an entrepreneur, what are you passing down? And that's, Mm -hmm. I think it's just essential in... It's not that you were trained in any way, shape, or form in a culinary arts or went to school, at least that I heard you say. But one of the things that no. you're you're good at is you had the lifelong experience and someone spent the time with you to expose you to it also. So you had an right. education, you gained firsthand experience, and you got exposure to the world through it. Those I think those are pretty three pretty important things. And right. so like I just when it came, you're like, it just came easy to me. I agree. You're probably really good at it. And you always had an interest probably from the day you made those first mashed potatoes, which is why by the time it got to that point, it seemed so easy because you had already put in your quote unquote 10,000 hours. But I just, I think the important part is there was an elder who invested in an up and coming person, not knowing whether or not that investment would ever fruit anything. He just did it because he knew that it was worth passing on and investing in you and spending the time. But what did happen is it did the investment that that seed that was planted 20 years prior or whatever it was 30 years prior is now the tree that's you, right? In your business. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. so, okay. So let's go there. You all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm really good at this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just started cooking for friends and family. Um, you know, it, it started out, like I said, with, uh, it, it was like a, it was like a double edged 
kind of soared here that that got me really into cooking um you know not just for survival but to to love it and eventually make it a business well and that's um, the trophy know, the first, right the first prong, yeah the first prong was you know the family influence particularly my uh, maternal grandfather and my paternal grandmother um combined with becoming a single mom not having a lot of money not having a lot of resources i made all my son's baby food because the jarred food was too expensive um you know so i would get these coupons from this uh program in pennsylvania called wick for young single mothers and um you could go to the farmer's market and you could cash in these coupons and you could get fresh fruits and vegetables and you know things like that so i would go to the local farmer's market, cash in all my coupons and and get just any kind of vegetable. I, I wanted to expose my son to everything, Brussels sprouts, you know, rutabagas, any, anything I could get. Why though? Why did you want to expose him to all this? Because I always, I was always taught to try something before you don't like it. And I think that, um, you know, all of these newfangled things and convenience meals and everything that are coming out, you know, it's like, oh, uh, green beans are on the shelf. Okay, we'll just give them green beans. Oh, this, you know, this is the jarred food that they're providing, so I'm going to do this. And, you know, if ask a 10-year-old kid, take, take, take 10 10-year-olds, put them in a room. Have any of you tried a rutabaga? I guarantee maybe all of them, maybe there's one kid that looks at you like, I um, doubt any of them might be able to pronounce it, actually. Exactly. And so. and I grew up eating, uh, uh, an abund- my grandfather had a huge garden, and I grew up uh, eating an abundance of produce, and I, I don't want to make those decisions for my child, so I want to introduce him to everything I can, and then he can decide what he likes, you know? Like, you know, he doesn't like cheese today. I almost gave him up for adoption, but, you know, he's my kid. I kept him. But, you know, he ate cheese till he was five. And then all of a sudden he's like, Ma, I don't like cheese. And I'm like, who are you? I know. What do you mean? Your mother is like the biggest lover of cheese. Like, I love cheese more than you, I think. Well, number one, you're Pennsylvania. Like, (laughs) there's Pennsylvania Dutch here and Pennsylvania everywhere. Right. And which eat cheese by the, like, milk and cheese for the Pennsylvania Dutch. Milk, cheese, and ice cream. So you have all that influence and yeah. then I don't think Italians don't put cheese on. I mean, we put cheese on everything. It's part of our meal. Thank Some you. people, it's butter. <laughs> I would say we bring butter to the table and bread also, but we also bring a lot of cheese. So I love this. Absolutely. So anyway, go on. I like the exposure, though. I think it's important. I agree with you 100%. Even though we acquire flavors sometimes as we get adults, like Brussels sprouts become less bitter to us as we get older, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do agree with the exposure and the comfortability and being uncomfortable and trying new things, which is an uncomfortable thing, where if you're comfortable in the uncomfortable, it just becomes your comfort zone and you become more right. exploratory, especially in food. So right. I like what you're right. saying and anchoring that point. So I didn't mean to get you off topic, but you know, go on. So you're going to the farmer's market. No, no. You're trying yeah, to expose so them to as the many farmers. Mar- yeah. Yeah. And, and it, like baby food was expensive, man. I, I, you know, I was living in a one bedroom apartment with a newborn, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money. So anything I could do to scrimp and save and, you know, four jars of baby food would cost what, you know, two pounds of tomatoes and, you know, a, a bunch of carrots and celery cost. So what am I, I mean, it's just do the math. I mean, 
of course I'm going to buy the fresh stuff. I can make more of it. I can freeze it. I can. So I just, I, I just, I wanted my, oh, and by the way, have you ever tasted jarred baby food? Like it's, it's disgusting. Oh, it's it is disgusting. So I love you this know, thing though, I, but. I also wanted to t- make it taste good for him. Like even though he's, you know, eight months old, it doesn't mean that, you know, he shouldn't eat. A, a nice, delicious sweet potato. I mean, come on, the kid's a human. <laughs> yeah. So I like this a little bit. I want to talk this. So all the stuff you're learning on the farm, because there's a lot of preserving that's going on the farm, like making product because you can only grow seasonally and then freezing stuff. Right. Is this all what you're putting into practice now? Like what you did on the farm with your grandfather? Is this sort yeah, of what's so going my, on here? You're work. extending your food out, not just days, yeah. but months. Yeah. Okay, go on. So... As I mentioned, my grandfather grew up on a farm in a little town in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia called Swope, Virginia. And um, I, I think population maybe 300. Like it was just, you know, and I mean, they he, he lived on a farm. He had to learn how to preserve and everything. So my grandfather had a huge garden, as I mentioned before, and he canned the tomatoes. He made fresh salsa. He made you know, um, fresh pickles and, and he canned everything. And at any point in the winter, you would open up the storage cabinets in the basement and it would just be decks on decks on decks on decks of fresh, you know, tomatoes packed with basil and fresh homemade applesauce and fresh salsa and just, you know, green beans, peaches, bread and butter pickles. So again, I was excited to this. So, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate because not a lot of, not a lot of kids, especially today are exposed to these old school practices or vintage practices are called them, which to me is, is a way of life. It's not really vintage because I mean, with the way inflation and everything is going right now, I mean, I'm not trying to get political at all, but you go to the supermarket now and, you know, a, a gallon of milk that used to be $3 last year is now close to $7. Well, and let's talk so about, like, pre-2000, and, pre-2008, yeah. milk was like 99 cents a gallon, you know? Absolutely. so And if we look at eggs right now, <laughs> you used to be able to get 12 dozen eggs for less than $1.99, sometimes $1.69. And I'm not saying we shouldn't up the price as long as the farmers are getting it are getting it but that's not what's happening exactly here. but anyway go on oh another story i could i could go on about <laughs> yeah. because i am i am very passionate about you know farmers and local produce i i i'm an old spirit me too i was raised with my grandparents around me constantly so i learn i learned and adapted all of the old ways my mother carried on these these you know, old, my stepmother still makes the same lentil soup that her mother taught her, who's the salient. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I was just exposed to this and, and, and we gathered a lot, like both sides of the family. Sunday dinner, I'm off. Like, we don't care where you are. We don't care what you're doing. You be here on Sunday dinner, you know? And, and I was so fortunate because one weekend I was at, you know, mom's side. One weekend I was at dad's side and I just got exposed to so much and it, it just it, it, it really laid down the passion for how I wanted to raise my son and feed my son and like I said financially it made sense because making your own food and going to the farmer's market 
to, to buy an abundance. I mean, I could buy a box, a, a giant box of produce for $18. That would last us two weeks. If I went to the supermarket, it would have cost me 40 to $50. So it, it just, it just made sense. And all of these factors contributed to me, you know, honing my skill and, and learning how to be the best. And I watched cooking shows constantly and because I just was searching for that connection that I had with my grandfather. And the kitchen was always the gathering place. The kitchen was always the spot. So all of these factors contributed to, to me being where I am today and being able to do what I love and, and make people happy with my food. And let's not, you know, BS here, but make a lot of damn money too. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the truth, right? And that's like you don't want to be in the same situation you were in where you're having to go to the farmer's market and extend your food and you're trying to figure out a way to extend your money and extend who you are. So I'm going to get into the entrepreneurial side and where it goes. But one of the things I I do want to talk to you about the farmers and stuff like that. And if we don't do it on this episode, I'm going to reach out to you and just so the audience can hear. I would love to do an episode just where you and I can sort of talk about that, the preserving of food the the extending of food the importance of it and we may touch upon in this episode but I just want to touch upon a little bit because we live by such abundance in the United States including the way we eat and the amount of food that we have that we waste so much food and we oh, don't absolutely. think about the long term our long term sustainability we're just think the grocery stores are always going to be open and it's yep. it's an idea guys it's it's a framework inside of our heads because it's allowed to happen right now it's protected by a military it's protected by a government it's protected by a lot of things and it's protected by an extremely generous government and the rest of the world doesn't operate the same way we do and i just think it's important that we talk about it and we talk about the farmers and the food and we talk about how important it is that we see what's really going on and who's making the money now and the investment bankers that are coming in and actually owning the land or the Chinese or or Bill Gates or whoever, and we just have a discussion. And um, so if yeah. you're open yeah. to that, it's, I would love really, to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, like I said, I was fortunate enough to be exposed, um, you know, to the farm. And, you know, um, I have cousins that are, are very big in the agriculture world. Um, you know, I, I have a cousin who runs a uh, catfish hatchery in North Carolina. I have another cousin who works, you know, in poultry science. And his wife is, you know, uh, one of the hubs of like the Pennsylvania Pork Commission. So there, there's a lot of agriculture surrounded in my family. Um, you know, uh, as kids, we would go to Lancaster all the time and, you know, visit the farm. My, my grandparents actually had a, a trailer in Honeybrook. Um, up by Lancaster and you know we we pretty much went there almost every weekend and you know a big exposure to the Amish and and the community and you know um, the way they they practice sustainability and buying the fresh goods and you know things like that so I, I, I had a really well-rounded childhood and I think it's important um, to understand that not everybody has that Um I feel like I was very lucky because in a way I was kind of handed this skill. You know, it, it was never meant to be my profession. You know, I, I wanted to be a teacher. I, you know, I wanted to be a music teacher or a choral director. Um, and, you know, somehow this ended in my lap and, 
you know, I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the exposure that I was given, you know, it, it just kind of molded me into this human that I never thought I would be. I never thought I would be a chef. I mean, that's, that's so odd, you know, to me, I, it's not, it was never in my dream. I, I cooked because there was a connection. It, it, it saved me money and I wanted to make people happy with my food and, and, and feel this connection that I had lost with the most important person in the world that had left me too soon, you know, and it just developed and, and I'm so grateful for it. I mean, I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better, you know, uh, well-rounded, uh, childhood. So I agree with you. I'm in a similar situation. Like I grew up on a farm. I've been very exposed to farming, both for food and for, um, whatever else, I guess you could call it for hobby. Um, but the thing I think that you hit on is just by the nature of our parents exposing us to other people, there was legacy passed down, their skills passed down. And like, I'll give you an example. You know, I always knew I was, when I was born, I was an entrepreneur. It just stuck, whether it was mowing lawns or whatever. But I always had, and I played soccer and that really did well with that. Always a determined, hardworking kid. And I learned a lot of teamwork there. But one of the things I always, in the Italian family or in my family, is we always came together around food, always. As a big family, whether it was relatives in town, whether we were throwing a barn party, because my mom would throw barn parties for her um, clients and and really did a lot for, for that when we were younger and really showed me a lot of entrepreneurism there. I don't know why she doesn't do it anymore, but or didn't do it anymore towards the end, but for some reason, Invite stuff me. like that. I love barn parties. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, it's the, um, I don't know, you're exposed to so much when you're that age, and it's when you're a sponge anyway, that it's the time to do it, that if the legacy is not being passed down beyond just what you learn in school and beyond your parents trying to just be your friend, like so many parents just want to be your friend. It's not what this is right. in the world. And uh, you're preparing them to go kick ass in the world. And you're preparing them, if anything ever happens, that they can survive on their own or they can be an independent, strong person. If you're not around or someone kicks them to the curb, like, how are they going to stand back up? Because that's the more important thing. And the thing about the farming and the animals is, is we've detached ourselves so far from the animal kingdom, we almost don't think we're a part of it anymore. Like we're some higher being beyond them. Well, that may be true. We may be a higher being, but not in the sense that we think it. And and we are a part of them. And whether we eat them or they are our pets, we are integrated with them. And that's the problem that I don't think everyone understands. And we've sort of detached ourselves so much from the farms and the animals and the things we eat or even pets because we don't have a lot of pets anymore. People have less and less pets because they're a distraction or they're too much responsibility. No crap. That's what our job is. That's part of being a human and being the higher power on the planet. Hello. But we can talk about that another day in Noah's Ark and how we just never (laughs) give that story enough credit. But it's it's one of those things that... um, that I really connect with you on this. Not only is our background similar, uh, the work ethic, I think the um, 
that no matter where I am, I'm not stuck here. I will figure out a way to use the resources that I have to build a better life for myself. And I'm not sure what right. skills I have, but I'll figure them out as I go and I'll leverage them. And any ones I need to learn, I'm willing to do it along the way humbly. And so yeah, yeah. let's talk about where you go from here. Like you've started this, you're doing the baby food. Like, like where does the entrepreneur spirit come from out of here? Like I did it, was it always there? Is there someone in your family that exposed it to you? Cause now you're starting to, to go out into the world and, and you get on a TV show and you start to build this brand, you know? And, and so how does all that happen? So it really started out as, as I needed extra money honestly. And, um, I, I wouldn't go out and get a second job working for somebody else because then I couldn't be home with my son. And, um, you know, I was a, a paralegal and, you know, I, I, I worked, you know, in town in center city, Philadelphia. And, you know, I was away from my son, you know, by the time I would drop him off, you know, either for school or daycare when he was younger to the time, you know, I got off the L train and the bus you know, it was like six o'clock. So, I mean, I'm spending essentially 10 to 11 hours a day, five times a week away from my child, and I'm the only parent. So I can't go out and get a second job because I'm not leaving him. You know what I mean? Like, I need to be with my child. I, I, I need to spend as much time with him as I can. So it started out as, crap, I need money, but I won't leave my child. Yeah. And I just, started cooking from home and, and entrepreneurship is the number one tool to get out of any situation you're in guys right. even if you're not an entrepreneur i just hate to tell you this in the long run it may not seem so in the short run but the ingenuity that happens in entrepreneurship or ingenuity that turns into entrepreneurship i should say in a situation when you're stuck like this, it's really, really like you did it. You've taught your son it also in the way you eat. You chose discomfort. There was no guarantee of income. You're taking a risk, but you're like, I need both of these things. So the mother of invention is entrepreneurship, which means I got to work for myself, right? And sell my creations also potentially. Is that where you are? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 like I said, it was, it was a, a combination of I'm not making enough money to, to support us to how can I make more money and not abandon my child, you know? Um, so that's, that was really, you know, the recipe for how it all started. And the more I cooked for people, the more people were like, oh my God, this is, this is the best sausage and peppers I ever had. You should sell this. Oh my God, this cake is amazing. You should, whoa, did you decorate that cake? You should sell them. And I'm like, really? I can make money off of this? And, you know, fortunately for me, the food scene was, and, and I, 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 I hate and lo I, I hate and love social media. I, you know, I, I love it because I can connect with so many people and market myself and things like that. But I also hate it because there's such negativity and things like that. But, you know, case that's for another day. But, you know, I, I really credit social media, particularly Instagram, when it first came out um, and really started to showcase food. And it was something that we didn't really see. And, and this was like the early 2000s. I saw this like first of all these food pictures and 
you know, and I'm like, oh my God, look at that. That's amazing. You know, the, the food network started to evolve and then there was the cooking channel and, and it just became this, like, it, it wasn't just, okay, we're going to sit at the table, you know, for dinner. This became a, a, a commodity that somebody wanted to buy. Somebody was willing to pay for the best of the best because they saw it here and they wanted it on their table. And I somehow was able to do that. And I don't know how. I guess I'm just good at what I do. I have a gift. I'm grateful to God every day for it. I I saw that this was starting to become a thing. And I was like, I can do this. Let's do it. And if it doesn't work, so what? I have extra food for me and Mikey. I'll, you know, freeze it, you know, if it doesn't sell. And but it did. It sold so much. I had to cut off orders. And it was just like, oh, my God, what is happening? And that's how my very first catering uh, company um, came into fruition. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without, you know, the help of some amazing friends. Uh, my former uh, business partner, Noelle, she she was integral in helping me um, really do the business side. I, I I have to tell you, I am not a good businesswoman. Not just not a good businesswoman. I, I am self-taught. I do the best that I can. Um, but you know, I always joke to my staff when we go on private dinners, I'm the talent <laughs> and they kind of like handle this and handle that and handle this. And I, and I cook and I make things look good. Um, but you know, it, it, it was definitely, um, you know, uh, her that, taught me the business side of things. And although I'm still not great at it, I, I would have been a lot worse if she hadn't come along. Um, but the catering just blew up. Um, I had a couple friends that worked for doc- doctor's offices and um, they started setting me up with their pharmacy reps. And, and, you know, the pharmacy reps are always wanting to cater lunches for the doctor's offices. So I started doing that. And, you know, pretty soon we had our own van and I'm doing this and that and I'm everywhere. And, it it just it just blew up and I loved it. I, it didn't feel like work. It, it just it was like oh my god, this is amazing! I'm having so much fun doing this. Then what happened? So um, I kind of burned myself out i'll be honest with you um and we've all been there as entrepreneurs when all of a sudden we become super successful or we hit a streak i've been there myself in grad school and ed companies are growing and multiple companies and all of a sudden i'm like oh my god like how do i control this and my mistake was i didn't grow the people at that time enough along with me but I'm just, I, I'm curious about how like you deal with this because for me, it was just like, I didn't have a lot of skill set and what happens when you burn out. Cause no one had burned as hot as I did previously in my family and gotten so hot, but I'm just curious, how did you handle all of it? Same, definitely same. Um, so, uh, I am the type of person, um, and I am like this in business in personal in romantic relationships. If it ain't working, I'm done. I'm done. Wow. Like, I, 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 Me I too. Have this ability, Me I too. just have this ability to know that this is not working for me. And um, I, I'm a little more conscious of, of, 
you know, casualties now. But then I was like, look, my son and me are the most important things in this world. And if mommy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, you know, now I'm a little more conscious. You know, I, I don't I don't set the bridge on fire, then throw a bomb at it and then take pictures of it, you know. Now now I, I gradually walk across the bridge, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to walk off this bridge now. I'm probably going to set it on fire. You should stand over there. You know, like, but uh, back then I was just like, this isn't working, you know, ethic. I'm, I- I'm done. You know, I started to not love it. And if I don't love it, I don't want to do it, you know. And um, I just stopped, and I stopped for a couple of years, and I just, went back, you know, I, I let the catering uh, business go and I just started doing little side jobs for family and friends. So I was still back cooking, to the basics. Um, yeah. but not doing it as a business. And, and it's really important that I stress this uh, because it's an important part of my story. I have learned through the past, you know, 20 years of doing this that I love to cook. I do not love it as a business and that's going to sound crazy because I have a food business but I have now in the last five or so years found the balance you and I I are so similar I can't even we're (laughs) going to talk about this a lot but go on so I I realized um, you know after after being on the TV show and how quickly I blew up after that and again I burned myself out again and I actually stopped cooking for other people for a good year year and a half Um, and I had to fall back in love with it cooking for other people again outside of my family and I I also miss you know I'm a paralegal I've been in the legal field for you know over two decades and I am very passionate about psychology and you know I never got I never got to, to, to finish college because I was a young, you know, working single mother. And, you know, I was like, you know, there's other things that I want to do. I want to use my brain. Not that I don't use my brain in cooking, but like I, I want I want to read. I, I want to draft documents. I, I, I love, you know, being involved in the legal system and you know, and I was like, how can I find this balance? And I had this idea that I would start doing private dinner parties and only schedule, you know, one or two a month so I could still do what I wanted to do, still make good money, but have a normal life. Go in, sit at my desk, have a coffee, you know, not have the responsibility of worrying about my business 24-7. I was still bringing in a paycheck, still using my brain, still activating the, the legal skills that I had acquired over the years, and then taking this other thing that I love and make good money at and doing that too and it, it took a long time to find that balance and I have it now and I love it and I wouldn't change it for the world now and there's the thing that I, I'm going to turn it into currency because I want the audience to anchor this point I love anchoring points and cementing them because I need these these things are life-changing events one of the things that you talked about is like once you don't see any ability to move forward, you burn the bridge or whatever, or however you described it. I'm very similar. I understand what you're saying, and I understand walking over it before, but I'm still going to set it on fire. And um, 
I understand that. And here's why, because time is our most valuable currency, guys. It's not money. Money is not actually what we get. Money is the reward or the trophy we get for using our time well and balancing it amongst all the things in our life. And when it goes out of balance or we're unhappy, that time has become wasted time. Okay, I don't know how else to describe it. So, I absolutely love that. I I, I love that, and and I'm I'm going to feel and adapt that as well because that was such a great explanation. Like money comes and goes, but you can't get your time back. And I think that is so important. And I love that you just brought that out there because I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Wow, that very good statement. And. As I've adapted it in my own life, like I started when I was around 30, like really trying to get this into my life and and live every day to the fullest. And what is the time really worth? And what am I wasting my time on? What is actually not moving me or my family forward? And but it's to your point. okay? and there's a a saying in the Bible, and I'm just going to tie it back to this because I am a believer in God. He does guide me. I have a very good relationship with him and I align my will with his will or his plan with my plan always. Yes, sir. And, and um, but it's that if the tree stops bearing fruit or the fig tree stops bearing figs, let it die. And we right. often try to water it and save it and we're attached to it and we get emotional with this tree and, oh my God, I spent so much time with this tree and watering it. But the the time has already been invested. The tree did well while it was bearing fruit. It doesn't bear fruit anymore. You can't keep investing your time in it, right. nor it's keep looking backwards. And so it's yeah. one of those things that just anchors so strong in me that, and and sometimes I act can act what seems harshly because I can all of a sudden be like, yeah, um, this deal's done. We're not moving forward. And we just negotiated for three months. And they're like, well, we already spent three months of time. I'm like, yeah. Like money aside, like everyone's like, oh, it's worth so much money and whatever. I get it that it's worth so much money, but I'm not wasting any more of my time because I have a feeling I'm going to be wasting a lot of it in the future by dealing with you guys, even if there is a ton of money. And so it's that type of thing that we don't check. And even in our relationships, we don't check it as a core value thing. We're spending all of our time with this person when we die. We're not going to be, you know, it's really doubtful. We're going to be losing teeth, not being able to see, barely getting off the couch, and and we're going to be humping each other galore. So the fact that we're like <laughs> not working on our brains, to your point, or looking for that type of relationship and core values, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a physical, mental, and spiritual attraction but I think there has to be reality. And we often, the whole thing is we rush into this and we don't value the time thing. Oh, they have money. They'll take care of me. Oh, they're really kind. They'll take care of our children. Or right now, we're really attracted to each other. And we just don't take that concept. So it's the same in business. I think we rush into things sometimes and Everyone's like, yeah, we're supposed to jump into business. I agree with you. You should jump in. You shouldn't be afraid to be an entrepreneur. But you need to be aware of how you're going to spend your time. And if that time is, I call it a visionary thread. I don't know where I got it from, but it makes complete sense to me. Because that thread, the more commonality in our life, when we tie more things together to that, all of our activities, what is the one thing that I can do today that benefits 
the most for me and the people in my life. And then that weaves the blanket that is my life eventually when I'm dead and what our what our blanket of a life looks like. I just think it makes sense to me that way. And the more I, I narrow down that thread and focus on it in my time, the better that blanket's going to be. Because if I'm not spending time weaving the blanket or on the visionary thread and on something else, the blanket's going to be pretty small. And so exactly. that's just the way I look at it. I don't it just makes sense to me, and I'm a visual person. The visualization, visual, visualization is a big part of who I am and how I have hopes and dreams and goals that no one can see in a million years. And so I like this. So let's talk about what do you do at this point? Like how do, what's going on in Chrissy's mind? Like you're like burned out again. Like you've done the TV show. You're like this, my time is more valuable than this. Like I need to be doing something where I'm not stressed out during the time that I have. Um, yeah. So a lot of, uh, the, the show and I mean, I could do a whole podcast just, just on, on the PTSD and, 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 the, you know, uh, scenarios, um, involved in the show. Um, a lot of it had to do with being on the show and the, negativity and the just terrible, hateful, a death threat. I mean, you, you talk about it, I've gotten it. And that also led me to step out of the culinary world. Um, you know, uh, I, a lot of, a lot of people will be like, Oh my God, like you were the most popular contestant on that season of MasterChef. Why don't you have more followers on Instagram? Well, because I left that crap down. Because my not only was I getting death threats, but my child was getting death threats, you know, things like that. And you think like, oh, okay, somebody in Malaysia sent you a death threat. Okay, okay, yeah, they're in Malaysia, but how do I know they don't come here? There are some pretty thick tickets in this world, to quote uh, Dolly Parton's character from Steel Magnolias. You know, and, and I had to look out for me and my mental health and the mental health of my child because it wasn't just me. Yeah. that, you know, was experiencing and my child, you know, was 12, 13 years old when this was going on. And like, you know, his mother is, is getting all these hateful things sent to her. Like imagine, you know, especially a son and his mom as close as him and I are, you know, imagine what that, that did to him, you know, and, and his social relationships and, you know, his, his mental well-being. Um, so it was a combination of being burnt out and, and having to step back from the stop, the, the spotlight, so to speak, because it was just so traumatic for me and my child. And I needed to decompress and go back to my quiet life pre-Master Chef um, to kind of discover myself and figure out you know, was this really worth it? Can, can I brush all this off? Can I ignore, you know, the, the haters and the hate mail and, 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 you know, can I protect my child from it and still do what I love? Like, how, how do I find this balance? And that was that whole year and a half that I had to take off and just kind of be like, what the F am I doing? Like, like, you know, and, and, and when I tell you, God must have gotten so tired of my voice because I'm just like, I would lay down at night and I'm just like, all right, big guy, what, what, what are we doing here? Send me a sign, do something, you know, and I would talk to my grandfather and, 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 you know, and just be like, you know, bam. 
we're like two peas in a pod. We're like two peas in a pod. I'm like, I listen, I've been where you are and I understand exactly, not exactly, exactly where you've been, but I've been where you are. And I like, I want you to keep going just because I'll reflect on a second, but this is very powerful. This is very powerful for anyone out there trying to be an entrepreneur or also build a public personal brand. Like, I think this is very important because we don't talk about it, but go on, please. So I think that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go into the whole master chef thing because it, it really is a big part of who I am now and who I was and who, you know, I decided that I didn't want to be anymore. Um, you know, I'm from South Philly. Okay. Everybody has this idea of people from Philly. Oh my God, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Oh my God, they're so rude. They're so angry. They're so mean. Okay, I grew up in a very loud family where, you know. Yes, we if, are loud you, Italians. Were, uh, There's yeah. a lot of people right. in a room. I, yes, Listen, keep going. If you were going. wearing an ugly shirt, if you were wearing an ugly shirt, you better believe the whole family was going to break your stones. I tell you that was the ugliest shirt they ever saw and then give you a hug and tell you they love you and they'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, you, know you got to learn I mean? that like, thick skin and thin skin. Yes. And and it, and I think it, it comes with, you know, I mean, just just look at, you know, the the uh, I love the Mummer's Parade. It is one of my most cherished traditions. I mean, look at look at the the, the Mummer's for instance. If if you ever want to embody a Philadelphia, like a Philadelphian, you got to look at the Mummers Parade. These are rough, tough, you know, carpenters and electricians and longshoremen and cops and firefighters, and they put this makeup on and these fancy things and they they dance and they do this and 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 that that could not be to me what, what Philadelphia is more about. This. This blue collar, rough, tough, I will knock your lights out if you threaten me or my family. But at the same time, the guy that I knocked out last week, if he doesn't have food on his plate, I'm going to bring him down a platter. And that's what Philadelphia is all about. And I think it's very misunderstood. And I think Philadelphians, as a people, are very misjudged and, and looked down on. And I find it very agitating. I and, agree with um, you. When I went to MasterChef, it was the second time in my life I had ever flown on a plane, been further west than Pittsburgh. You know, I, I had no idea. I had only been on a plane one time in my life in 1997. I was leaving my child for the first time. You know, I, I was very you know, like standoffish because I didn't know what I was getting into. I had never been exposed to anything outside of my immediate tri-state area, you know, um, aside from, you know, being on the farm and stuff like that. I, I, I didn't know what people from LA were like. I didn't know what people from Chicago were like, or, you know, Sacramento or, you know, Texas and, all of a sudden you get thrown into this situation with a hundred people from all walks of life. And they're all looking at you like, Oh, you're the scumbag from Philly. And so right away I had a chip on my shoulder. I was not very well received. 
The only people that did receive me well were people from the East Coast, Malcolm from Boston, you know, Kathy from, from the Bronx. Um, you know, th- those were my ride or dies because they were also East Coast. They were also um, very like me in, in, in similar ways. So I had a chip on my shoulder from day one because I was not received well. You know, I'm the loud person in the room. I come in, oh, my God, hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm from Philly. Where are you from? You know, blah, 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 blah. And people are looking at me like, who is this loud, you know, heavyweight girl with the crazy curly hair? And why is she talking to me? Like, it was very, like, unwelcoming. And, you know, I was a fish out of water. I didn't know anybody. No one there was like me, you know. So it, it was it was very difficult. Um, and I'm also the type of person where, look, yeah. I'm a fighter. Uh, you me know? too. Um, yep. And I, I, you know, I'm not proud to say it, but I've been in a lot of fist fights in my life. And, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to throw it down if I have to. And when you come at me and you disrespect me on no basis, just because you don't, you don't understand me or exactly. you think I'm loud or you think I'm obnoxious, I'm going to fight back. And unfortunately, I was a little too myself, a little too Philly, I think. (laughs) And while I'm proud that I stayed true to my race and I I, I stayed true, when I saw myself on television, I was a little embarrassed because I thought, you know, that may be appropriate for 21st and Emily Street in in South Philly, but that's not appropriate for the world. And... I I didn't like a lot of my behavior. And, and the thing that agitates me most about the experience is the editing and how it was made to look like I was the antagonist of every situation, when in reality, a lot of the, the things that were portrayed negatively of me on the show were reactions to the way other people treated me. And... Um, you know, I, I just, I feel like I was the, the scapegoat for that season um, because I was the easiest to um, expose, I think. And um, it really changed who I was as a person because I just, I, 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 I am going to be honest here, it was not a good experience. I love the friends that I had made. Um, I loved all of the, the teaching. I mean, when, when Gordon Ramsay is, is teaching you a skill for free, okay, you, you don't, you don't, you don't fit on that, you know, and, and I will never knock the culinary experience and knowledge and exposure that I got, but the entire experience of being on the show and the aftermath was hell. There's no other way. I still have PTSD. Um, in January of 2020, before the pandemic hit, um, my uh, my best friend John and I decided to fly into Sacramento and do the entire Pacific Coast Highway. And we were stopping in San Francisco, Monterey, L.A., and ending up in San Diego. And when I was driving into L.A., and it was the first time that I had been back in Los Angeles since being on the show, I had a panic attack just driving on the 405 and seeing the signs for Los Angeles, I had a panic attack 
because the experience was so traumatic for me that I I just I I, it, it, I still have have issues to this day, and it's also a reason why I have suspended my business where it is because I don't want to be bigger than I am because I I I don't think that I can mentally handle the negativity and the aftermath of you know my my post uh, master chef uh, appearance. It was very traumatic. <laughs> yeah, let me talk about this. I am very sorry that that happened to you, and I want to just talk about this with the audience. Um, uh, I'm gonna. I wasn't gonna go down this way, and this is like more stuff we do on the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast as we relaunch it. But I'm gonna tie it back into this because this is my job, and this is what I take pride in doing, and I believe I can help and and help the world. I've been exactly where you are. Um, not where I haven't traveled. Like I've always been exposed to the world and I've always traveled and I use soccer as a means to get me places that I couldn't get, like I would have not normally been able to go. And my father worked for a business where I was able to see the world sort of. And, um, and, um, but one of the things I want to talk about is when you start to succeed and individuals spin your success into things or they spin it into negativity or they take negative parts of your personality and they leverage it and the hate and disrespect and bullying I would use the word bullying because I can't even I don't know yours was on an international level which I can't even imagine mine wasn't even close to that but uh, my son and I actually uh, kept track, um, and I have received hate messages from 32 countries. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, mean, like, I laugh about it, but, and, and I just want to say I brought up Malaysia before. Malaysia, I could never go there. For some reason, Malaysia hates me. They think I'm the most vulgar, terrible person in the world, and I will never visit Malaysia because I, I, I could be killed. I don't know. Malaysia really hates Chrissy. <laughs> <laughs> so one of those things is I think people misunderstand, and I think people, like, I'll say humans. Let's, I mean, it's, it's humans. We do this thing where we judge people or... We've never even met them. It's someone on a television. Like, we should just be aware and how that person is portrayed on the TV and the way the editing and stuff works is the way they want to tell the story on the show. And there has to be, like, if you go to any film school, guys, there has to be a story and there has to be conflict in order for a show to do well. And so they're creating conflict. And I don't know how else to tell you guys that, but it sells. Why do you think we do the news we do? Why do you think we have the papers we have? Why do you think we have the trashy new uh, magazines we have? It's because conflict sells. And the more you turn up the volume on the conflict, the better your show does. So even though it's a show about culinary stuff, they're exposing the conflict and the competition to an extent to get ratings and views all the way to Malaysia. It worked. Oh, and they got it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's just definitely got it. That's just the the way. And and for me, I will tell you guys, like as an entrepreneur and as a human and as someone who doesn't chase money or the short-term outcome, which is ratings. And yes, you, of course, you want to keep the show going and you want to keep people employed and all of that. But then the day you still have to sleep at night. And at the end of the day, what you do has real long-term 
outcomes, whether you're spreading negativity or positivity. So whether or not the argument is Chrissy deserved the hate mail or not, I'm not going to tell anyone because here's the real thing is there never should have been an information put out there by anyone that should allow that to happen. There should have been mentoring. There should have been coaching. There should have been responsibility as a human to grow the individual based on her situation. And they should have had more people knowing what she was doing. I'm sorry, and, but that's and, the and point there, of a there, show. There was none of that. We none put TV and reality TV and we turn up the volume on conflict and we think that that's the way humans are supposed to interact. And while Philadelphia, New York, and D.C., and us East Coasters, we seem confrontational and stuff. It's just because we're direct. That's it. Right. And we're loud right. because we're having fun yeah. always. Even yeah, when it absolutely. seems, and if we're loud when we're raising our voice and mad at each other. But believe me, the other person's doing it right back to us, and it doesn't matter. Like, we're all, we all have an ability to be adults and be like, yeah, we did that, and you're right. I will go give you a plate of food if you need it. It doesn't matter if we fist fought today. I will, and tonight exactly. I find out you need food. And, and I'm going to say, said. sorry, yeah. we got in a fist fight. I was wrong. But you, I hear you need food. Let me help you, period. Right. Period. Right. And it's just we've lost this. And, and I get it. We want everyone to be model citizens. And we're looking for this perfect human. And, and, and But yet we purposely expose conflict. And so... We, we just got to be careful, guys, because TV is not the real world, even though it's called reality TV. Sh- yeah. It's not no, it's reality. Not. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. It's a, it's no, a play I'm on not, words. It's like not. organic, being organic, guys. <laughs> organic existed before we ever created chemicals, before we ever created right. things as humans. Organic is just the way things were. And like we create a new marketing term and stamp on it and charge more money for it and and you know and even though the farmers don't get more money but somehow organics cost more so it's just like these things are things we need to be aware of we need to be aware of what's being heard and I'm a positive person on this podcast I do positivity I actually know who Chrissy is and I've seen the season of the, I know what season she's on I used to watch the show. And I will, I will tell you guys also this. I do not watch TV anymore as a human. Like over the last four years, I've started to completely start to eliminate. Like I'll watch a cartoon here and there or a TV show like on Netflix, but I actually barely make it through it. I'll go to a movie and see a movie theater. But my problem is this. Human beings by nature gossip. And human, na- human beings by nature exaggerate. And human nature... By, and humans by nature like conflict and it attracts them they you attract more people to a fire than you do to honey just saying people are going to go watch a fire versus a bee making honey just saying Absolutely. but one's way more positive <laughs> in the environment and doing way more for the world and our survival than the fire yet we'd rather go watch that okay because that and, and be- i think one of the most yeah oh absolutely i think one of the most important takeaways um from master chef um, was that I saw myself through the eyes of the world because MasterChef airs in 34 different countries. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with the way that I was portrayed. It was very unfair, but like I said, um, you know, I could have reacted better um, and then I wouldn't have given them anything to, you know, hate me on. And, you know, I, I just, 
I learned a lot. And I think that the most important thing about my stint on MasterChef was that I learned who I didn't want to be anymore. And I tried really hard and it didn't happen overnight. Trust me. I mean, that the show was 10 years ago and I'm still growing as a person. Um, you know, I turned 44 in 13 days and I, I'm still not where I want to be. Um, but I realized that I wasn't likable and, you know, having that wall up and that big, you know, was, was not just good for me, but for my business either. You know, I, I can't, you know, spout jokes from comedians that, you know, are going to be misinterpreted, you know, uh, you know, and label me as something I'm not. And I can't, I can't do this and I can't do that because I ultimately at the end of the day have a business to run and in stifling those opinions and that, you know, telling, telling you what I think you need to hear, you know, who am I? I, I, my, my opinion is no more valuable than yours. And who do I think I am, you know, spouting these political rants and spouting these things. And I don't need to share that. And it makes me unlikable and it makes people not want to patron my business. And it, and, and, and that was another thing that I had to learn. You know, what you do outside of your business, it, it comes back on your business. So, Absolutely. you know, me, me looking like a jackass on national television makes me look like a jackass in business. And people aren't going to respect that I am good at what I do because maybe my personality doesn't reflect that drive and passion that I have for what I want to do. So it's interesting. Any, any experience you. you have to grow from. And I think that I grew and am still growing from this experience and learning how to be a better human overall. Yeah. And I agree with you on the, um, and 100%, I think reflection is important. I think likability, if you're in business, is important. I think staying true to yourself is very important. But it's it's there's some, um, and I've learned this myself, you've got to pick and choose which parts of your personality you turn up the volume on. Not Absolutely. All, not Absolutely. all of them. And it's hard right. when you're a rising person, and particularly you're from the East Coast, and you're Italian, and there's a lot of family members, and it's just the way things are. Kids are loud. You know, I just spent some time with my grandmother and some family for New Year's real quick because I didn't know whether I was going to get the time with her um, again because um, she's in stage five uh, kidney failure because of diabetes mm. and refusing uh, dialysis. So, like, I'm trying to quick spend time with her even though that wasn't my plan and I'm supposed to be recording and back in Nashville and I've just adjusted my schedule. But I want to talk about this. Um, Likeability is a big thing. And I think that one of the things that I've learned, and I've learned this through the podcast, like I've been very vulnerable and maybe too authentic and it's come back and, and you know, bitten me in the ass for lack of a better term. Oh yeah, same here. <laughs> and so, because people t will take your vulnerabilities and leverage them against you if you're not careful, and you got to be careful how you right. do it and what happens. And 
especially if there's jealousy or envy or you have a skill that outshines someone, those things that you unintentionally think you're helping someone do or give them are relating to them, they will then turn around and leverage it against you. That's why I talk about a lot now as a human, what are the core values? And if I make a mistake now, I am so quick to fix it or change my trajectory that it's not even funny. Like if like, and, and here's the thing, I get misinterpreted the other way now. Now I'm so positive and now I'm so likable that everyone thinks I want to date them or make out with them in a bar or that I'm trying to get their number or that I want a relationship with them. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to be friends with everyone. No relationships. Like I'm trying to build my life again and build a podcast and start all over again, learn from my past mistakes. Like the whole podcast, public figure thing, semi thing, how much people <laughs> took everything I said, you know, um, the vulnerability parts out of the podcast and then leverage them against me. Even if I was negotiating a business deal with someone, I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I did not see you bringing in up something I said in a podcast to try to leverage me in a business deal. But those right. are the things that happen. And um, it's okay. I'm a more fair person. I try to figure out how both parties can win. That's just the way that I am. And if we're going to go to war, I'm going to probably win because I don't give up. I will stay consistent yeah. for 20 years. That's just who I am. And so that's the that's the part I already know that I already have the confidence to know those things. It's just a matter of how I portray it and how right. I come out. And confidence doesn't necessarily mean I have to come out with cockiness. And while cockiness right. can be deserved if you actually earn it through confidence over a long period of time, it can often, often be misconstrued. And that's what right. I think. And I've watched the season... And I agree in a lot of ways, but I think there's a huge amount of confidence in who you were at that time. And I think part of the mm -hmm. problem now is, is there's this shaking in the confidence because you were so sturdy then. And here's the truth. You were a great person then. You were the most confident you. You were. That's why you did it. It's just, could you have done it differently? Could you have uh, handled it differently? Of course, everyone could. No one's perfect. But you're never going to meet the best version of yourself if you don't go through the trials and tribulations like this, even publicly. Exactly. And I'm willing exactly. to bet you, Chrissy, if you would ask me, and since I do this and this is my gift, like I really grow humans and see their potential, that I think your trajectory is this. It's just going to take a little longer, but you're going to be that public figure that's going to reinvent herself that's actually going to spread positivity through food. And I instill yep. that in you because God doesn't give us these trial and tribulations for us not to go become excellent in our life or become better versions right. of ourselves. We're not aligning with his plan. So he, it's just a knock, you know, it's just, right. let's right. get back in line here. I'm giving you a chance. And at least that's the way I see it. Because when I do that, like the most powerful moments I've had, the most, and I'm not talking about money guys the money always came later after i felt successful it's like my body always changes on the outside after the inside feels really good like when i'm doing really well on mm -hmm. the inside like i'm really in shape i'm really focused i'm really doing well the money's well the dog's well and even if i have a little bit of money i'm saying the money's doing well it's my mindset and so yeah that's the thing that I think that happens here. And one of the reasons that I enjoy this, and, and while we talked about it on the podcast, it wasn't, I didn't know we were going to talk about it, but, and haven't seen it, is that I think you're a powerful human. 
and I think that you have such strong energy, it was very easy because it was uncaptured. You were lightning, as we keep saying in the podcast, but you just couldn't capture it in a bottle yet. You didn't know how to capture your own lightning in a bottle, just like I didn't. And, and you're almost like a caged animal that was let out of a cage and no one taught you how to be in nature because you've been caged so long. And it's not... Right. And when you're caged like that, you become a superhuman, super efficient, super energetic, had to work my way through everything. I wasn't given anything. No one handed me anything. I work hard. I don't want anything from anyone. I'm going to do this. And people see it as like, oh, my God, like, why would you work that hard? And, and there's so many things. And why do you have to be so aggressive? And why do you have to, you know, why do you care so much? Well, go anywhere else in the world and the mentality is what you have because everyone does have that struggle. We just don't have it here in the United States and and a lot of other places where they see negativity in that way. Yes, could we have handled things better? Could you have handled things better? Of course. But what I'm saying is I think I know based on my own experience that we go through these things and they're to make us better and give us a louder voice. And you have an incredible energy. It just when it's unharnessed, it can go any direction and, and can be used against you. And that I know right, that. Right. And that's the part yeah. of being a high, having high energy and it's few and far between, but anyone who has a strong law of attraction to someone, not even physical or romantic or intimate or sexual, there's just this attraction, like it's undeniable. Like, what is mm -hmm. this? I'm curious about them. They have an energy and when you're an energy person who's turned up your energy and figured out how to harness it and you have other people around you that do energy, you start attracting a lot of this energy. And all humans have the ability to do this. We just don't do it. Some of it is we didn't right. have the grandparent like you had or we didn't have the ups and downs like we had. But you had a grandparent and now you've had trials and tribulations, which I think what you say is a chip on the shoulder to me is another fucking growing opportunity. And so it's like... Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... How do we get there and how do we, we know that this is just part of it? So I like this podcast. I like that we met. I like that your energy and your background is similar to mine yet different. Um, mm -hmm. I've been knocked down a lot in life. There is no doubt, like knocked myself down most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. And even when there were like people angry at me, it was the situations that I created. And there were times that I never backed down that I could have handled right. things differently because oh, absolutely. I'm just that person. I was on the East coast. Um, my parents didn't really stick up. That wasn't, they were always like, Oh, you know, be nice and whatever. And that just didn't work in my world growing up. I had siblings and I had, I went to all boys school and I played soccer. It was very much, and I needed my own money and I wanted my own independence. So I had to go fight for it. And, um, right. and so, I don't know how to tell anyone this, but it's like there's there's a lot of instillment from grandparents and stuff like that, the same as you, and they're very influential in my life, and they pass down a lot of knowledge down to me, which is hugely important in a legacy. But I think because there's such strong energy and such an old soul and there's such strong, like, because old people don't bullshit around. Like, there's no doubt, like, it's like, we don't have time for that. I'm going to tell you how it is. And when you're around old people as a young person like that, and they heavily influence you, particularly in food, you bring that same mentality into young people or right. on the TV. And I'm just saying, and just to give everyone like, 
a little bit of being a human and being a human and also judging humans reasonably, which you should never do because we're, we're all imperfect, but I get it, we do it, is just taking this into account. Like all of us have a different upbringing and all of us have different influences and particularly anyone who's been raised by a grandparent or have a grandparent in their life that instills lots of wisdom in them, you end up too wise for your peers sometimes. It's why, <laughs> it's why I end up always dating like older women like there's no doubt about it I have a maturity thing like I can't figure it out and when I meet a younger person or a really young person with an old soul that relates to mine I really pick up on I'm like holy crap like we're the same age just like when I go age and it's just the way it is we're similar in age so there's an energy there but I just am like the energy matters more than the age the energy matters more than whether or not it's a good business idea, the energy matters more than anything because the energy is a teller of the core values. And if you guys can right. really feel energy and it's not an attraction based off a of lust or I want to go hump the person's brains out, like just being honest, it's attraction where I'm curious, where we can right, grow right. each other, where that's the attraction, where even in a relationship, even in a sexual one, even in a business one, even in wherever where we're thinking about that, and that's the the thread of our life where it's about that. You know, what are mm -hmm. how do we grow each other? What is this friendship? Is it a growing friendship? And friendships are important, but do they grow each other? Otherwise, in my opinion, right. they're a waste of time. And I'm sorry people are going to be like, yeah. oh, well, we've known each other for 25 years. Well, are you keeping each other in check? Or do you have honest right. conversations? Are you direct? If you're direct, does the person, well, you don't need to be so mean. Well, then we're not friends because I want someone who's going to tell me if I'm fucking up. Like, I have two friends that are really like that, that I've been from high school. They tell me how it is. And most of the time, I haven't listened, and I should have. Just saying. So, Chrissy, yeah. I love this. What, so, tell me, what is the Rotund Chef, and how did you come up with the name, and where can they find you on Instagram? Okay, so, um, Rotund Chef um, originally started because, well, I'm I'm a big girl. <laughs> Or I was. I've I've lost a hundred pounds post breast cancer, but um, you know, I, I was yeah. I was a big girl and um I just I just thought it was funny and I love the color green and I love pigs. I think pigs are so cute. And I was just like, How can I make this logo and, and, and really have this name that's gonna like encompass my personality and, and, and you know there were things like, you know, the fat chef, the, you know, the chubby chica, you know, things that I, I were thinking about. And then I was like, all right, so rotund. Rotund just doesn't just mean large. It means like huge, like, like this, this, this circle of like ball of bigness. And yeah. I, and it's not only big, it's full. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and not only did it, capture and make a play on my body size but I think it also reflected my personality as well like I am just this this big ball of boisterous energy and I just it just fit it just worked and it just came to me one night and I was like that's it I'm the rotund chef and I searched you know to make sure that there was no one else with that name too and at the time in 2012 when I created it, uh, there wasn't. And I just, I, that's kind of where the name came from. Um, I, I actually used the thesaurus and looked up different words for fat 
and I tried them all out and Merton won. <laughs> I love this. And so what is it that what is that that Rotund Chef does now? What do you do now within this space? What are you trying to do? And you said you're not trying to grow, but I mean, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. So what I am doing now is I offer uh, private dinners um, and I go to people's homes or any place where they want to have an event. And I have a staff and I bring all of the food, all of the equipment. I come in, I take over the kitchen, I give you restaurant quality experience and meals and I clean up and I go home. So it's like literally bringing the restaurant to your home and you, you know, are comfortable. Um, You know, you're able to be in a relaxed atmosphere where you can do what you want. Um, and still have this experience, this culinary experience and be able to share it with the people that, you know, you love the most. And I've made so many friendships and, and everything doing this. It, it's just incredible. And, um, I, I offer two, two different options. Um, I have a more elegant option, um, where, you know, not only do I charge per head, but I also have an hourly fee and that's plated and, um, you know, very intricate. And there's just, there's, there's no, no boundaries to where I can go. Um, and then I offer, um, because, you know, the, the, the whole growing up in this area and being blue collar, uh, you know, I, I feel like everyone should be able to enjoy this experience. I also offer a family style option where I come in and it's a, it's a, point blank price per head you get a b and c i can do whatever it, within those realms you can always add on things and stuff like that but everything is served family style like sunday dinner you know and it it, it, it really works for like um you know families that are used to that or maybe missing that atmosphere that don't necessarily like the fruity fruit of an you know an elegant plated dinner but still want that wonderful experience and the family style dinners bring me so much joy because it's literally like I, I am just opening my soul up and, and, and sharing this and the the, the dishes are getting passed back and forth to each other. And it just feels like home. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that I decided to do the two options because it, it also doesn't get boring for me. I'm not going and making the same, you know, um, aesthetically pleasing dishes. Like I'm throwing a bunch of pasta on a plate, covering it in Parmesan cheese and being like, here guys, pass it around, get in there, have fun, you know? So it, it, it it's just, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I found this, this need for it, especially during the pandemic. Um, you know, when the restaurants and stuff were closed. Um, but it's, it, that, that's basically what I do. I do do some small catering still, but uh, it's not my thing. And, um, occasionally when I'm up to it, um, I do, uh, these things called meal deals where I have a menu for the week and they're home cooked meals. 
on like, you know, the menu for Monday will be like, you know, chicken Alfredo with like garlic knots. Then you for Tuesday will be homemade beef stew and buttermilk biscuits. And you place your orders. I package it up and I either have a family size or individual portions and people come up and they pick up these hot and ready meals and they go home and they serve goodness to their families. Um, I, I do that every, every couple of months. Uh, I'll do it for a few weeks and then, you know, cut it off again. <laughs> um, but it really just bringing the joy through food and seeing the happiness and the togetherness that my food delivers to people is, is really the most rewarding thing that I do. Like, like I would do it for free if, if I didn't like money, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's just, it, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that I've gotten myself into. And I, I don't really advertise, um, you know, I don't pay for it. All of my clients are word of mouth or, you know, engaged through social media um, you know, I, I, I have not, you know, I've never hired anyone to do marketing for me or, you know, um, mail flyers out or paid for a Facebook ad or anything like that. I just, I put it out there and if people, people want it, they want it. And if they don't, they don't. And I am fortunate that people want it and they love it and they keep coming back for more. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to talk about this because I want to tie this together and I want to do something full circle for you and for the audience. And I don't know if you realize this or not, Chrissy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. When people haven't met you and they don't like you or they send you threats or stuff, they've never actually met you. So like the fact that that has any weight in the world really like I think as humans we just need to have the mindset like people can hate you and they come after you and you need to be afraid for your life for sure and take proper precautions but one of the things I think that is true is that they've never actually met you okay and I just want to anchor that point for a second here's what happens when we have to rebuild our character and our reputation especially as someone who it matters to so much and lives life with such high energy and positivity is the only way to do it is one person at a time. The only way to do it is one mouth at a time as a, a food entrepreneur or one ear at a time if you're like me and a food entrepreneur and in this space, okay? Like you, like it's one rep, one relationship at a time, one solid relationship and, and really one long-term solid relationship that you build by doing what you're doing with Rotund Chef is worth 200 negative comments just that one at least the compounding value and if i if we really honestly look at the mathematical equation in that what is it that really matters in the relationships we have and when building our character and the long-term value of the humans that we interact in with or that we spend our mental time on i think that you're already doing it and i think by weirdly by the nature of the beast or mother nature or god you are building your reputation by having the one-on-one relationships with the people, which is what made you famous in the first place before you got on the show, yeah, before I, the show disentangled. I, right? I, I have to credit, um, I, I really have to, to credit um, <laughs> one of the um, people that I was on the show, show with, probably one of the people on the show that I fought with the most um, was, 
Brie, the vegetarian, as everyone remembers her. Um, Brie and I, she was like this annoying little sister that had so much more worldly experience than me. Um, you know, she was polite. She had manners. She, she was very, um, methodical in her decision-making, very, very, um, you know, open and, and dainty and unique. And, and when there's this, this one turning point, and this is where I always say a joke that I, that I started to hate her. And, and I say hate all the time. It doesn't mean I actually hate the person. I'm just like, Oh, I hate you. You know what I mean? But like, it's, it's really, it's a total East coast thing. It's a total East coast thing. Like it was just like, and it was really trendy like for a long time. Like, Oh my God, I hate that. Or I hate her. And it's like, like someone would got a really nice gift. Oh my God, I hate her. I know. I know. But, so same serious. for me like, when I moved to Colorado people and I'm like oh god when I moved go. to Colorado <laughs> people just really cameraed me for like I use too many cuss words and I and I'm mm-hmm. too direct and why am I so aggressive and why do I talk so loud and oh my gosh so I know what you're talking yeah. about I was just like well I've lived all over the world but I've never really stayed anywhere where they called me this and I'm like Isn't everyone not wanting to waste their time? Like, what's going on here? Because I had moved from New York to Colorado, New York City. And it was like, so, like, yeah, even though I'd been around the world and worldly, I was still a fish out of water. So, anyway, go ahead. Right, right. So, so, Bray, I I remember we had, uh, we had finished filming one day and we all kind of had to stay together. Um, we had Wranglers, um, because it was a competition based show. And if word were to get out, you know, who was there and what show we were on and things like that, obviously would ruin the show. So we essentially had like, we called them handlers and, um, they went with us everywhere. They drove us everywhere. Um, I remember I went to get my hair done one time and literally the guy is standing behind me like a security guard making sure I don't tell the hairdresser what I'm doing in LA. Why am I here? So anyway, so we all, all, we were hungry after filming. We were, we were not at the studio. We were on location somewhere and we, we all were like, Oh my God, we're hungry. Let's, let's go somewhere for dinner. So we stopped at this place that supposedly had the best fried chicken in LA. It was not, but regardless. (laughs) Um, And we're all sitting at this big like shoe horse uh, shaped diner table and Brie is two people down from me and I tasted the chicken and you know it needed salt and and I looked at Brie and I said hey can you give me the salt and she picked up the salt shaker and she looked at me and she said please and I said no give me the fucking salt and 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 because I was just so offended that someone younger than me you know, was, was correcting my manners because to me, there was nothing wrong when I said at, at my family, it's like, yo, give me the salt, pass the salt, yo, where's the salt? You know, so to yo, me, bro, throw me normal. some bread. Yeah, I get it. I, right. I know, I know. Normal. I know, I know. Yes. Request. I, I'm, and for I'm, her to, to do that, I, I was infuriated. And, and everyone at the table looked at me like I was trash because I didn't say please. And I thought, oh, you are my enemy now. You know what I mean? And like, and that's kind of where that love-hate relationship between us started. And 
she said in in one of the um, like private interviews, and it stays with me to this day. She said, "I think Chrissy is a great cook, but because of her personality, I do not think she is ready to be master chef." And she couldn't have been more accurate because I did not have the social skills, the worldly. You know, I, I was this you know from the box person and. You know, Brie really opened my eyes up to being more polite. Niceness will get you places. You don't have to be so aggressive. Yeah. You know, and and it, it, it didn't, like I said before, it didn't happen overnight. But Brie was really a very and I and I don't think I think she knows it, but I've never actually said it. So um, she's living in Dublin now. So when this this is edited and aired, I'm definitely going to send her the podcast to listen to. Um, Brie was very instrumental in me wanting to become a better person. She made me want to become a better person because she was so much younger than me, but had so much more tooth and compassion for people. And, you know, I, I think if we didn't have that interaction at the table, I, I would have gotten to know her a little bit better sooner and maybe I would have I would have gone through that competition a little more positive and a, a, a little bit more um, willing to um, not close the people off that had been rude to me from jumpstart. Um, and maybe I wouldn't have had that giant chip on my shoulder. But Bree was very instrumental in me wanting to not be the person that I was portrayed to be on TV. And and let's let's be real. Oh, I said all of these things. I did all of those things. Did I do them in the context in which they were edited? No. But it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I always tell my son, you know, a screenshot's worth a thousand words. Well, a stint on MasterChef season four is also worth a thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned some valuable, valuable lessons. But Bray, when you hear this I love you, you little witch. <laughs> well, and I want to say this. I'm going to touch on a few things. One is, like, um, how do I say this? Um, often the best of us who have to work the hardest at our skill have to have the chip on our shoulder to become as great as we are. I don't know how else to put it to you, and I agree that we should be yeah. politer but a boxer got to be a boxer or most soccer players or basketball players or musicians had really rough lives to get to where they are. It it takes a certain chip on your shoulder and people try to take advantage of you because you have energy and you're don't have the business sense. Like you said, I will say that you noted that and people try to take advantage of that. So while I agree with you, I also want to defend you in this way, not because you need it and you shouldn't grow, but I want to say this, is that when you're beaming and you're gleaming or whatever the words are and you're really bright and you're maybe not in a bottle yet, the lightning, it's you. people try to take advantage or they burn you out. They, they, they want to maximize the energy that you give. And it's a lot, okay? And... So that's one. Two is, I agree, we have to learn and we have to reflect. And if we didn't do it in the first place, it wouldn't be a snapshot. So 100%. The other thing that I want to say is this for me, um, and I agree with one of the things you said is, 
I think as humans and as entrepreneurs and particularly us humans that really have to fight for things, we just have something inside of us that burns hotter. Like we're a little bit sharper and and we cut a little more and it's not intentional. It's just we ha- don't want to waste life for a second and we should be politer. Um, and I say thank you a lot. I probably say I'm sorry too much where it leads people to take advantage of me now. I like I've overcompensated. And um, but I think it's important. And I want to answer a question that came in the podcast. I haven't answered, but I think this is the right time to answer it. Like the name of the podcast, if everyone goes back to the beginning, I named it Justin the Food Entrepreneurs because I liked Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five. Like I grew up, my father was 38, 39 when I was born. Um, and if I have kids, I'm going to be that age difference, just so we're aware. And, um, and, but I respected the music from there. I also respected that they grew out of their family or they grew out of their bands when they became independent. I also understood it took the fire of someone younger. So I'd always been younger. I'd always been the younger soul and I felt the fire, especially in the entrepreneur world. Cause I started at 18 years old in food and mowing lawns and stuff. I was seven when I first started mowing lawns and fields and figuring out business and soccer and how to get myself to places and all of that. So fruit stands and vegetable stands on the side of the road, four of them and so on and so forth. So one of the things is, when you're that type of person, like you attract a lot of other people that are like that. And the reason is it's a lot of years of compounding. I don't know why it's not something that just happens. The The fire just doesn't burn. It's like hard knocks and bad things and picking yourself back up a lot of times where a lot of people who don't have uncomfort in their life don't ever have to go through that so there isn't that beam I'm sorry I just don't know how else to describe it and if you're a parent you need to put Mm -hmm. your kids in uncomfortable situations I'm sorry like give them a chance to be and so that's that's the magic there and and when someone hasn't been through it or everyone's been raised properly or everything looks so perfect and it's, it's not that the person hasn't been through hardship or whatever. One person hasn't grown more than the other. I think we often misunderstand that what grows me or what burns my fire is not what grows you and burns your fire. And so often a fighter, if they turn out that flame or they become too domesticated, they lost the ability to win. They're no longer valuable. They're not. People are no longer attracted to him. Want to watch him fight? They have no longer have the flame, but they've domesticated him. And so this is the right. thing that's hard about being an entrepreneur in public opinion, and being in food is because there's love, passion, sexuality, ambition. Uh, so many entrepreneurs out there that. Yeah, everyone watches these TV shows and they don't understand that a lot of the passion that's going on, this is not the same as you cooking in your home for your family and it's lazy desert. No, we're trying to make a living. We're busting ass. We've got SOPs. We've got regulators that are up our butt. We've got to do whatever. So I think there's that. So I'm going to tie it back to Justin, the food entrepreneurs. I never knew that my purpose would be so tied to growing the humans or other entrepreneurs or connecting the entrepreneurs or even connecting with entrepreneurs around the world as it did with this podcast. I started as an idea that maybe it would help for marketing to attract people to the food business we were in. And I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I just knew I needed to do it. And 
Yeah, and a lot of times the chip did come out wrong or I said things I shouldn't have said and I've had to reflect on it a lot. And all I can say is this, the the thing that I think is the most beautiful thing about humans, and we think it's perfection, but it's actually purity. And that is our ability to constantly want to grow and be better and achieve excellence. And and that's what I mean by purity is that I'm pure in my intentions. I'm, I'm positive in my intentions. And it, you may receive it wrong, but am I trying to do it in the right way? And am I being positive in it? And yes, the way I speak, can it have a negative impact on someone? So I need to not be so loud, not be so aggressive in the rest of the world and be very aware of my environment and what I'm doing. But I think your episode has been hugely impactful and we didn't even talk about breast cancer and the fight for your life for that. Um, yeah. And so I'd like to have you back on Chrissy to talk about more about the farming. I'd like to continue the entrepreneur conversation. Um, but thank you very much. We went on way longer than I wanted to, but we had the time. (laughs) So it's my podcast and no one else recording today. So, we're going to do this. You can do what you want. <laughs> yeah, I get to do what I want. That's part of being my own boss. That's also part of keeping the chip in check is that I understand yeah. that if I have to work for someone else that I don't do a very good job as a human because I'm very independent and I'm very free-spirited and I'm very rebellious also. And I do not like being told what to do in the slightest because... I will do the opposite. I don't know why. And and if I see a group of people telling me all to go in one direction and they're all going that way, there is no way I'm going that way. Like the fear of God goes into me. Like something's not right there. I need to go where right. opportunity is, where no one is. And I don't know. That's just who I am. But again, if I don't keep myself in check with exercise and 75 hard, and I don't keep myself in check by reading and growing... And I don't keep my businesses at a reasonable size of where I am at the time, which is what you talked about, to grow them Mm -hmm. and scale them and build them. I do turn into a monster and I do Mm -hmm. turn into not a great person. And particularly when you have that beaming energy, it's very easy for it to turn negative and then spread negativity and or people to use it or something you said to say, see that energy I told you was negative. Let me use this example. Bam. And all of your energy mm-hmm. gets seen that way. And so yeah. it, because you have this energy and people want to think the energy is wrong because they don't have it. And I'm sorry, I probably yeah. just lost like 10,000 <laughs> listeners or something, but it doesn't matter. And it, what matters is, is that we're trying to share a story and we're trying to let people know that like the energy is earned and the energy takes time and you got to have a long-term focus. And it started with you by instilling values from a grandfather when you were a kid. And so thank you, Chrissy. Um, I really appreciate it. I I appreciate it. I'm going to reach out to you later today and we'll set up another uh, recording for later this month, if that's cool with you. And absolutely. And I'm going to, we had a great conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to leave everyone with this. What you're doing with Rotund Chef is a future of the world. Okay. And I'm going to say this because I identify trends very quickly and I like seeing where everyone goes, particularly when there's huge financial crisis, disasters, worldly epidemics like we just had 
which we've had them. There's like the third one since I've been around mm-hmm. and um, in food and as an entrepreneur. And we have delivery going on and we have the restaurants. People are ordering it and then having someone deliver it to their home and paying the extra money to have it delivered and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and the rest. The future is that we are going to see more chefs have a way of life that they can make money and make more connections and deliver better food by doing what you're doing. Okay. What Chrissy's doing. And I've seen some of my entrepreneurial friends do something similar in Seattle and Atlanta and Nashville now. And I think it's important that we touch on this because fine you want the convenience of a restaurant in your home and you're ordering and getting it to your home but you can actually now bring the quality chefs the quality food their ideas i'm talking about getting to know them what do they stand for or do they really fight for the farms and fight for the environment and fight for food and bring them into your home and support them and actually get to know them and experience them and what they do and get food on a whole new level which is just like ordering food to your home, but now you get to experience and you can have people over and actually do it that way. And it's really cool. So thank you again, Chrissy. Thank you everyone for listening in and, and I'll let you, um, did you want to say anything before we go? Um, I I think, uh, one of the questions that you had sent me, um, prior was, do I have any advice? Um, for someone, you know, entrepreneurs in general or just people in the food. And I I think the thing that I've had to learn the most was to know your value. Know your value as a person and as a person supplying a product or, you know, a service to someone. Don't undervalue yourself. It may seem like it's expensive, but if you're worth it, baby, you're worth it. And they will pay for it. Trust me. <laughs> and that is yeah. probably the biggest advice that I that I will that I will give. Know your worth. Yes. Know the value of the product and service that you are supplying and know that there's nobody that can do it like you and charge accordingly. I love it. And you are 100%. I've never talked about it, but I can't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more and be patient and don't be so quick to react. And exactly. You don't have to respond right away. And, you know, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to negotiate. Like, honestly, like, yeah. it's okay. Um, the yep. rest of the world does it. We just don't do it. But that's the reason we don't get the value. And we complain and we have, um, we get, you know, I forget the word. Um, anyway, we get vengeful eventually because we don't stick yeah. up for ourselves and we don't get the value right. we deserve. And we think it's the other person taking it from us, but really we have the ability to do it. And I agree with you. We are so valuable and we stack up our skills and people are willing to pay for it because they want you. So mm-hmm. I love it. 
Chrissy, you blew me away. Like I'm learning more on the podcast. Like it, at this point, I'm getting more value from all of you guys than I'm giving away. So I'm just like, I'm just <laughs> absorbing it like daily. I'm just like, I'm growing ra- so rapidly as a human from all of you guys. The other day, and I'm going to leave everyone with this. I was like, God, I'm not reading enough. I'm doing my 10 pages, but I need to do more and I need to really get more. And then someone's like, how could you get any more than what you get out of one podcast a day that you record or the multiple podcasts you day if you're trying to front load? He's like, you get enough information from everyone to last a lifetime. Most people don't get it. Right. What you get in a day in their entire life, which is probably true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you, Chrissy. You grew me today. And, um, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself on podcasts. That's Justin the food entrepreneurs. And you can also find us on Instagram at Justin food entrepreneurs. Thank you for everyone for listening in, share the podcast. If you got value at it, you can hear, we have no advertisements. There's nothing. We have no interruptions. We just go straight through to try to deliver you guys the information. So I try to stick true to that because that is a core value that I wanted for this show is to be able to give you guys and deliver you information as entrepreneurs and not waste your time with disruptions or distractions. So thank you for everyone listening in and we're out.